Chapter 3 and 4 are, without a doubt, the, the centerpiece of the gospel. It's not to say we, we can live without the other epistles and the other books of the Bible, but if, if you and I can really get our our minds and our hearts into the depths of what is explained and and taught to us here, we will be greatly strengthened and helped. If not not given just the, the pure light of salvation as we study these passages of Scripture. Romans chapter 4 begins when Paul is done explaining about the depravity of man or the the sinfulness of men and how pervasive the sinfulness of men is. How uh, how unexclusive the sinfulness of man is that is that, that all men are equally sinners and, and guilty before God as the, the summary is given in chapter 3 Romans uh, 3 9 is a question really coming from the, the Jewish perspective for a moment 3 9 says what then are we better than they are we Jews better than they Not at all, for we have previously charged, and that's really uh, one, two, and three to this point. We have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And honestly, one of the most difficult things to understand about the gospel is the sinfulness of man, how, how depraved your depravity is, how sinful your sinfulness is. And, um, we studied the principles of justification last week. There are, there are certain uh, unchangeable truths. There are certain principles that govern our understanding of what justification is. First and foremost, justification is going to be a, a legal status granted to somebody who is guilty in sin, somebody who is condemned in their sin must be justified if they are to have any hope in salvation. If you are to be declared righteous before God, and if you are to inherit eternal life, you must be justified. The court must render a verdict in your favor. The principles of justification really teach us that every single person, every man, woman, and child must receive justification because all all are sinners. And, And nobody can work for justification. You can't do something that you could exchange to God or you could use to show to God that that you have earned or you somehow deserve this verdict in the court. 
this legal rendering by the judge. So we've been studying that. We've been studying how it cannot be worked for. It must be by grace. And then finally, it must be by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification is something that is yours and mine only by faith. Faith in Christ for justification. So when we get into chapter 4 of Romans, there is a presumed question that is being answered in the book of Romans. And the presumed question is, has to do with your natural misunderstanding, your natural unbelief in the relationship between your works, your deeds, and righteousness. Men naturally associate their deeds with innocence or guilt. And when we get here into Romans chapter 4, there is this question that he has certainly touched on numerous times up to this point, the universal guilt of all men and how impossible it is to be not guilty. But if you are not rendered not guilty, you cannot have eternal life. So how is it that a person can really and truly be saved? How can somebody be rendered justified without works? Romans 4 brings us Abraham. Romans 4 presumes that men know Abraham was justified because he is the central figure of Jewish history. He is the the epitome of what it means to be a Jew because he is the father of all the Jews. He is the epitome of what it means to be favored by God because God made his promise to Abraham and Abraham's seed. He, He is Israel in essence, and he is the promise and the favor of God to the people of Israel. So when we read this question, and just to put you in the context of Romans 4, 4, 1 says, What then shall we say Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? Or in other words, how is it that Abraham was justified? What did Abraham do in the flesh for his justification? What did Abraham discover about justification and works? Verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This, This truth that justification is by your faith in Christ is grounded in this statement here about Abraham. And what we're going to be reminded of and what will be reinforced in our passage today is that Abraham is the father of justification by faith. He is the, the, the pillar, the apex of justification by faith. And he was not justified by his works. So when we worked our way down to uh, verses uh, 7 and 8, and nine, Paul has been talking to us about the words of David. So in chapter four, verse seven and eight, 
The point is being reinforced that you cannot work for justification. You cannot do something where God is going to go, okay, you are justified by this thing that you have done. Let's know what David says, and then I'll explain why David bring or why why Paul brings this argument to to bear on what he's talking about. He quotes David, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Now, as Paul is arguing about Abraham's justification by faith, justification by faith is for sinners. And so when he quotes David here, David is speaking about a blessed man. What kind of a man is a blessed man? As, as he quotes David, who is this person in view? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. What kind of a person does lawless deeds? A righteous man? No, he's a lawless man. He's a sinner man. But David says, David the prophet, David the king, says, blessed is the man whose lawless deeds are forgiven. So really, David's quote points you to a way of justification apart from works. David's words leave open this, this reality or this possibility that justification in David's prophetic mind is not of works. This is crucial to understanding how Paul is laying out the argument for you and I. And the next part of what is quoted by David, it says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. It's very interesting words for the prophet David to, to be speaking in this way. The, the self-righteous man, the self-justified man is a do-gooder. And he is worthy of the reward of justification. But this is not how David speaks about it. David is basically used as an illustration to prove this isn't how Abraham was justified. David certainly said that justification doesn't come by those works. Listen to how David talks about it. And so the audience, you and I, those listening to these words of Holy Scripture, are, are being reinforced in our, 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 our reasonable ability to believe in justification by faith. So when Paul says, you will be justified by faith in Christ and Christ alone, there's a part of you probably that would really like to believe it, and maybe a part of you that says, well, how can that be? That just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem possible. David's words not only say it's possible, his, his prophetic words say this man is the blessed man. This is the man who is truly, truly blessed. So we're going to pick up in verse 9, and Paul continues this discussion, asking a question, does this blessedness come Upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, 
though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. What we are going to focus on as we follow this this argument and this explanation of what justification by faith is, we are going to consider what were the conditions of Abraham's justification. What, 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 what was his status? What kind of things had he done to warrant his justification? This is how Paul is taking us through this discussion about justification. Remember, one of the things I said last week, and I want you to remember as we're working on this, there are many theories of justification. And, and as you remember that, the reason there are many theories of justification is so that Satan can offer theories of justification like, like hors d'oeuvres at a wedding. Satan would love you to say, oh, well, I'll take that one, or I'll take that one, or I'll take that one. There is one way of justification. There is one way of salvation. There is one way to get to the end of your days and find the judge rendering a verdict righteous. And then you walking and entering into eternal life. There's one way. There are not many, many ways. The Roman Catholic way is a lie. The Jehovah's Witness way is a lie. The Seventh-day Adventist way is a lie. The Mormon way is a lie. All of these, all of these religions, all of these declarations of how a person is going to be justified are different. They're all nuanced in their own little ways so that your faith is going to be in something false. That's why there's so many offerings of justification. That is why this section of scripture is crucial for you and I to understand deeply and clearly. So we're going to study the conditions of Abraham's uh, justification in, in just this illustration of what was going on in his life. Remember, justification cannot be by works. Those are the principles that we've studied. They must be according to God's grace. Justification must be according to God's grace, and it must be by faith in Christ. It must be like that. Remember Romans 3.23? i got to go back a page for me to see it. I don't know where it is in your Bible. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace. Justification must be by grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So God is going to guard you and I from invention, invention of our own theories of justification by using these words and then by using this illustration of Abraham to guard you and I from making up what it is not. So what we're gonna what we're gonna see, and I, I thought this was really cool. In the in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 51, 
Turn there. Don't lose your place in Romans. But look at this verse in Isaiah 51. Abraham, in a in a sense, is. I'm not sure what word to use, but if I use the word like species, I remember learning that word in, in biology in college. There, there are kinds of things, right? So dog kinds can produce all different kinds of dogs and, and species of this or that. Or they're, they're all related. Abraham is the proto-type species of those who are justified by faith. Look at this verse 1 in Isaiah 51. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. You who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. We will see as we work through this passage that this rock from the pit is what? Think about the think about the, the, the picture that's it's being given here. Who is the main rock? If we could call uh, El Capitan the main rock, who is the rock here in this passage? Look to the rock from which you were hewn, the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham. You, If you are a person of faith, you are one in the line of Abraham. And the New Testament repeats this theme. And so what is it about Abraham? What is it about his salvation and his justification that must be yours if you're going to share his hope of eternal life? What is it that, that, that made Abraham unique? What is it that, that Abraham could say is his justification and his salvation? Abraham is the father of justification. So, the question being asked in verse 9, Romans chapter 4, verse 9, we see the question. Does the blessing, does the blessedness come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? I'm not sure if you understand why this question is being asked yet. But immediately the text says, we say faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. So raise the question of circumcision. And then drop it and then go back to Abraham's basis of justification. Raise the question of circumcision and then remind you, how was he justified by faith? So let's try to follow his reasoning here. How then was it counted? How then was it counted? Circumcised or uncircumcised? How was he declared righteous? When he was circumcised or when he was not circumcised? Turn to Genesis chapter 17. Don't lose your place in Romans 4. Turn to Genesis chapter 17. Oh, it's almost there. 
Now, if you recall, when we read in Romans that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, you remember what chapter that was in, in Genesis? Abraham believed and it was credited to him for righteousness is in Genesis chapter 15. But right now we're in Genesis chapter 17 and I'd like you to read from verse 9 with me. Okay? 17 verse 9. God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. Okay? Covenant is... Uh, could potentially be rendered will, like a last will and testament. And it could also be rendered uh, maybe like a contract. Okay, so this covenant is like a, a contractual agreement, a will-like agreement. <clears throat> and that your descendants, Abraham, descendants are children, right? Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. You and all, all of your descendants will keep this. Verse 10, this is my covenant, God says to him, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh. The contract, the agreement, this this thing between you and me will be in your flesh and in your descendants' flesh. This is the nature of what it would mean to approve of the rendering of this covenant between God and Abraham. This is where this ritual for the Jews originates. Genesis chapter 17 is, is the reason every Jew would have been circumcised on the eighth day. Look at Luke 159. You won't be back to Genesis for a little bit. Just look at Luke 159. There are two babies being spoken of prophetically here in the book of Luke. One is John the Baptist and one is the Lord Jesus. And John the Baptist is born to Elizabeth. And verse 59 says, So it was on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, his name shall be called John. I just want to show you that to, to be a Jew is to have your males circumcised on the eighth day. It is what they always did. We were from Abraham back in the beginning of Jewish history all the way to the time of Christ. The Jews are still practicing this covenant agreement. We won't read it, but you might make a note of this yourself in Philippians 3, verses 4 to 5. Paul is explaining his zeal 
and his faithfulness as a Jew. In Philippians chapter 3, he is saying, I am a Jew of Jews. I'm a great Jew. And he mentions he was circumcised on the eighth day. You don't be a Jew and not get circumcised. It means you are in the covenant agreement with God. So, when we are here in Romans 4, David has been speaking about the blessed man. The blessed man whose sins are not imputed to him. The blessed man whose sins are covered. So, then the argument progresses this tiny little bit here and then ask the question, is this blessing, is this ultimate blessing, is this great blessing of not having your sins imputed to you, does that happen to you under circumcision or not circumcision? He's really drilling down on when does justification take place. Verse 10, how is it accounted while circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised. Abraham is justified years before he is circumcised. The belief where he is credited with righteousness, like I said to you a moment ago, is in Genesis chapter 15, which is probably 13 years earlier. So in Genesis chapter 15, all the way to 17, a span of 13 years or so, is when they finally um, are given the, the, the ritual of circumcision. So Abraham was not circumcised when he is pronounced just, when he is pronounced righteous. Salvation is without the work of circumcision. Verse 11 goes on to say, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had. He had already possessed the faith that determined his righteousness. So faith toward God and his promises is the condition of Abraham's declared justification. The conditions of justification are a man's heart and a man's belief in God and his word to him. So Abraham's picture, Abraham's place in time where he is justified reaffirms that to you. It teaches you that. It helps you understand what are the conditions of justification. Now, there is a seal following the righteousness of faith in Abraham's place. And this is really helpful. This is really crucial. There is a sign that goes to it. Verse 11 again. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, 
that righteousness might be imputed to them also. That is, that the uncircumcised might also be able to say they too possess this righteousness. It's imputed. It might be imputed to them, which kind of goes with the phrase up there that had to do with David a moment ago. David said, blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. Well, the opposite is this imputed righteousness. The imputed righteousness of justification covered sin. Abraham was 99 years old when he himself was circumcised. But he became the father of whom? Who did Abraham become the father of? Put my finger on the verse. Verse 11. He might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised. Verse 12 says, keep reading, and the father of the circumcision... To those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So he is the father. We could maybe render it not merely to the circumcised. Now, this is an interesting thing for you to notice here. In a way, this passage is saying he is not the father of the circumcised. He is the father of the circumcised and those who believe. He's not father to those who have merely been circumcised, but he is father to those who are circumcised. Verse 12, who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had. So Paul is teaching that there is something particular these believing ones do. If they were circumcised and don't do, then it wouldn't be right for them to refer to Abraham as their father. He isn't the father simply of circumcision, merely of circumcision. He is the father of circumcision and the working belief that follows circumcision. He is the father of those who walk in those same steps of faith. He mentioned a sign here. The sign accompanied the belief. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him for righteousness. A sign followed. Remember how how long did it take for that sign to follow? Thirteen years. There was a sign. It was circumcision. There were other things he did, the places he went to live. His, His life was a following of the Lord. But there is a constant confusion among Christians and among just religious people between belief and these works or belief and these signs that are spoken about. The new covenant believer, and that's you and I, you and I are members of the new covenant who have put our belief in Christ. 
if your faith in Christ has become your righteousness and your justification by your faith in Christ, you are sons of Abraham as you walk in the steps that Abraham walked in. There, there are signs that go with this believing. So turn to Colossians chapter 2. Let me show you where Paul speaks about this, about the signs of, of belief. Our, our new covenant sign is baptism. Colossians 2.11 Remember, the main point is, is you cannot be justified by works, but the justify walk in a manner after Abraham's manner. So here in Colossians 2 and verse 11, it says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. The him here is Christ. In Christ you were circumcised with the circumcision made without him. Where does circumcision come from, my friend? Where does circumcision come from? That's a covenant obedience under Abraham's covenant. Those who are born in the line of Abraham, who, who wish to share in the blessings of the covenant, have their males circumcised on the eighth day. That's how you express your allegiance to Abraham and Abraham's line and Abraham's promise. Your males are circumcised. But here in Colossians, he says, in Christ, in him, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. What kind of anything can be done without hands? It's immaterial. It's spiritual, isn't it? This is something done in a, in a spiritual person who has put their faith in Christ. In Christ, you are circumcised without hands. That means that this is something done by God and the Spirit. Keep reading. By putting off of the body of sins of the flesh. Now that's, that's turning back to the material reality of circumcision. Okay, the, a, a material real circumcision has to do with flesh and, and a surgery of sorts, right? Putting that off by, it says, the circumcision of Christ. There is a, a, a spiritual surgical operation underdone by Christ when you have put your faith in Christ that is the equivalent to a material covenant circumcision in the time and age of Abraham. Now let's try to understand the spiritual meaning of a spiritual circumcision there in verse 12. So we're still in the, in the passage here in Colossians. So chapter 2, verse 12 says, Buried with him in baptism. Now when you're baptized, are you buried? No. But it is a picture of a burial. The baptism of a Christian is, is to be buried with Christ. It's, it's a picture of that. Buried with Christ or died, dead, with Christ in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. So the one who's placed in the waters of baptism is dying with Christ, and then he is raised out of the water, picturing his own resurrection 
with Christ. Now this really gets to the heart of what faith in Christ means, doesn't it? When you put your faith in Christ for justification and for salvation, why is it necessary that you die with Christ? Well, you're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. The sinner must justly and rightly be rendered his verdict. You, sinner, must die for your sin. But when you are in Christ, Christ is your death in sin. Christ has become your death in sin. Now, this is being tied to a surgical, a, a spiritual surgery done in Christ that says when you have believed in Christ, there is a spiritual circumcision taking place. You are dying with Christ. This dying with Christ is a death to your sin. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, but not a one of you has been crucified, have you? Not, none of you has, has actually been nailed to a cross. But in Galatians 2.20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Let's turn to it. Go, go to uh, Galatians 2.20. I want you to read it and make sure you mark it. Crucified with Christ, which is a spiritual truth for those of you who have put your faith in him. I have been crucified with him. I have died with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You're looking to Christ. And what you're going to do after church today, I, I'm living my life by faith in Christ. Abraham, when, when Abraham puts his faith in God, that means he knows what the words of God said to him. He knows where God had asked him to walk. He knows the promises that God had promised to him. So he is walking in the light of those words of God. When we're reading this, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Your justification is the righteousness of Christ. You have died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ. These are... These are profound and challenging truths to understand, but this is what justification is. And Paul is teaching us here in Romans that Abraham's justification is grounded in his belief in God and God's promises to him. And so Abraham, 13 years later, is circumcised and everybody in his home is circumcised. You and I can see the, the association or the, or the relationship between a Christian's belief in Christ and spiritual circumcision and death to self and life to Christ. 
There is a work there in verse 11 of Colossians that says Christ has operated on the Christian. It's a work without hands. It's a surgery done without hands. It is a removing of the body of the sins of the flesh. Back in uh, Romans, back in Romans chapter 4, in verse 7, David said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. What are your sins covered with? How are they covered? How is it your sins are not counted on your account? Christ is the one who has borne your sin on the cross. Christ is the one who has died with your sin. And so David said, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. He didn't say that they they just go away. They are justly dealt with. You who would have eternal life have vested your hope and your faith in Christ who is your substitute lamb. Verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Why does not the Lord impute you sin if you have put your faith in Christ? Why doesn't he impute you with your sin? Your sins have been given to Christ. Your sins have been given to Christ. Your sins are not worn by you. What do you wear when you have put your faith in Christ? What is yours to wear? What is yours to be seen by the judge? The righteousness of Christ. The justice of Christ. Where is the death, the proper death and judgment for your sin? Where is that? Because God is a perfectly just God. The wage of sin must be rendered. And it is death. Where is your death? It is in Christ. All of your hope is in Christ. Because he wore and bore your sin. He died your death. And he rose to life. So that your hope is in life. It is not in death. Abraham was justified by faith. Where was his work of obedience when he believed? It was 13 years down the road. Abraham believed God and this was credited to him for righteousness. This question about what a man does to earn his merit before God. This this question is a serious, serious question. And what... What is being taught and insisted upon here is that the work, even if it is a work that God has asked for, the work follows your belief and your resting in God. It's not without work. It's just understanding the relationship between what it is and who it is you believe and then what you're doing. There is a root of salvation and it is Christ it is God's word of promise to you there is a root to salvation there is a a source of justification when God renders you righteous you wear the perfect righteousness of Christ a perfect sinless life is credited to you who put your hope in Christ you wear the sinlessness of Christ it's glorious What is the sign? What what sign do you share that shows I I agree with God's promise? 
I love God's offer. I, I am bound to God in this promise he is. What is your sign? It's not circumcision. What is it? His baptism. Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized and shared in the death of Christ in the, in the waters of baptism? Have you died with Christ and, and been raised to, to life in baptism? It's surely a mysterious thing, but it's also a very simple thing to understand, isn't it? We read our passage there in Colossians chapter 2. You have a sign that follows faith. If you have believed in Christ for your justification, then your justification is sure. It's as sure as the resurrection of Jesus. God is perfectly satisfied in his lamb. I'm going to go back to Isaiah just again here real quickly. Isaiah 51. I'm going to read to you one more time. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. Your need for righteousness is far more desperate than you know. If you cannot stand for God, perfectly righteous, then you are hopeless. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the Lord Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, for they will be satisfied. Because the Lord Jesus has become your righteousness when you have put your faith in Christ. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Look to him. What did Abraham do to possess the hope of eternal life? What did Abraham do to have the hope of not being judged for his own sin? What did Abraham do so that he was not imputed with his sin? He believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. He trusted Christ. He trusted the life and the merit of Christ to be his justification. He really did. This is the gospel truth here. In Romans chapter 4. So let me read just one more time here. I'm going to read um, verse 12. He is the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith. There are steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised, which means Abraham is your father. He is the rock from which you are hewn if you are people of faith. If you have put your faith and your trust in Christ, then Abraham is our father too. We'll continue looking at this in the days to come, but let's close in word of prayer.